Thank you for choosing to listen to today's message by Reverend Dr. David Entry. We know you will be blessed as you seek and serve God. We believe that this message will stir up a desire for more of God, even as you listen. Be blessed. Praise God. Well, last in our last session, I was talking about um, how Christianity does not only come with privileges, it also comes with responsibility. With every privilege comes responsibility. I, I, I actually wanted to quote the scripture um, the last teaching, but I didn't get to. So I was reading, when I was, I was reading my Bible, I came across this scripture, but something really jumped out to me. This is the story where Paul and uh, they had a shipwreck in Acts chapter 27 and with the centurion and the soldiers and the captain and the prisoners. And they had a shipwreck and for 14 days they had not eaten Drifted, drifted in the Adriatic Sea. And after many days, Paul stood up and told them that, be of good cheer for the Lord, who the God, the Lord, whom, whose I am and whom I serve, the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve, stood by me this night and told me that, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. <laughs> Hallelujah. Saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God has given thee all them that say with thee, a prisoner, but the Bible says God has given them to you. That's interesting. Anyway, so he he told them, but look at the verse 20, uh, 30, um, 33. And while while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, take means, meat means to eat, okay? Eat something. Saying, this day, um, saying, this day is, a, is the 14th day that ye have Tarried and continued fasting, having taken no meat. Said, you haven't eaten for 14 days because that's how long we've been on the high seas. Verse 34, wherefore I pray you, take meat, take some meat. In other words, eat something, okay? Why? For this is for your health. For there shall not, watch this, there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. Not even one hair will be lost. None of you will, will, uh, will die. Your life is not at stake. So God has given the assurance of protecting you, of saving you, and preserving you. But he said, now you also have to eat for your health. So God has done his bit. That's the bigger one you can do. Making sure that throughout this storm and throughout this ordeal, you will survive. But he said, God has done his bit, but you have a responsibility. So verse 34, he said, for this is for your health. Eat, for it's for your health. Some other translations say, it is good for you. It is healthy. It is necessary. In fact, I think the NIV puts that, for your survival. It is necessary for your survival or something like that. It is necessary. So the point I want to draw our attention to here is that God has done his bit. God has done what he has to do for them. But if we fail to do what we are supposed to do, it might invalidate what God is doing. And we will end up losing our lives anyway. Because Paul said, you will lose your life. But there was a caveat, a condition for that to be a reality. You have to eat. So in the same way, we have been saved by God. But we haven't been saved to just stay. We have been saved to serve. <laughs> 
We have been saved to serve. You are not safe, even though you are saved. Your safety has a lot to do with your service. <laughs> so, back to um, Thessalonians. I was talking about how, because we have been saved, Jesus who died for us, that whether we, we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. Verse 12, and we beseech, we implore, we entreat, we ask you brethren that word brethren is a very important word it's an endearing word so you're so important it's almost like my darling okay it's like we 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 beseech you brethren to know them which labor amongst you and are over you i told you that previous that's the that's is telling about the job of a pastor a pastor's job is to labor okay a pastor's job is to labor amongst the people and over and be over them in the Lord and admonish them. So pastor, labor in the people. Labor amongst the people. Labor. You might you must be Jesus said, I'm <laughs> I think oh why can the scripture is verse I think um it's in Luke or Matthew. Yeah, verse 26, 27, 28 of Something chapter 20 also. <laughs> it says that I am amongst you as one who serves. Okay. He said, I am amongst you as one who serves. Jesus said, that's why I'm, I'm amongst you. I didn't come for me to be served. It looks so important. I am amongst you as one who serves. It's very important that every pastor must have, oh, thank you, Jesus, must have a congregation he serves. Sorry, I don't mean online con. Online congregation is not a congregation. Online congregation are viewers and watchers and and, and uh, observers. They can't serve. Online congregation can't serve others. So those people who think they have something to say. So they are gathering, following around them online to make them look like pastors. You are an avatar. <laughs> virtual, a virtual personality is not real. An avatar. True Christianity does not, cannot exist. True fellowship cannot exist just online. Pastor, why are you doing online? Because in the absence of physical meetings, we will just make do with what we get. However, I will not stay in a house with my wife only and talk to her only on the phone or by text. And we are living in the same house. We don't talk. We only communicate via text or on phone. It's not marriage. <laughs> it's not marriage. It's not, it's, it's, that's not, marriage is, is real relationship. Real relationship and even goes deeper real relationship that is married and the church is likened to a family married to christ and so 
to be part of a church means that there is you are enjoined to be part of an active fellowship where you are served and you serve under accountability and not only service uh, not only service as we saw it says that the pastors are supposed to uh, labor and when I, I clearly I made it very clear that the labor has a lot to do primarily with laboring in the word and doctrine. It says that let them be worthy of double. First, first Timothy chapter chapter five verse seventeen. Let the elders be worthy of double honor or that, that the honor to, to double too. So any honor you give to somebody, said that the elders are worthy of double. You count them befitting that. Oh, you deserve double. You deserve double. Very important. That's scripture. All right. Um. And that's very spiritual. It says that let them be counted worthy, worthy. Oh, he deserves it. Worthy of double honor, especially those who labor. You see the word labor there? Who labor in the word and doctrine. Steady, second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Steady to show yourself approved. Talking about the man of God. Steady to show yourself. That word steady is not reading. It's be diligent, I think. Um, New King James or NIV says, be diligent, be diligent, hard work, push, put in a lot of effort. That's what it means. Put in every, every bit of effort you can, you get, put in maximum effort, steady to show yourself approved, not onto journalists or politicians or onto society, not onto online audience, steady to show yourself approved unto God. <laughs> A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the labor there has a lot to do with laboring in God's word. But not only that, it's also overflow into laboring to take care of the people, loving the people, making sure they are looking out for their well-being, looking out for their well-being. So it says that, uh, uh, now again, and we beseech you, you brethren, to know, to recognize, acknowledge, okay, identify, acknowledge, know, know, know them which labor amongst you and are over you in the Lord. Can you imagine there are people who are over others in the Lord? That's Bible. There are some people who are above over others, not because they are better than them, but they have a God-given spiritual responsibility over. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17, it says that submit yourself to obey those who have rule over you and let them do it with joy, not with... Uh, um, that's a very serious one. Let me read it. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says that Obey them that have rule, uh, that have the rule over you, that same red rule, okay, that oversee you, that look after you, that are responsible for your well-being and feed you. So obey them that have rule over you. And your job is to submit, okay, as a Christian, you can't be discipled effectively outside of submission. Outside of submission, there are a lot of people who sometimes you know it's not by fault of no, it's not by no fault of yours. You, your background, the way you were raised, there's submission doesn't exist. You do your own thing, you, you do whatever you want to do, and maybe where you grew up, the community you grew up in, the society you grew up in, 
you know, children are allowed to do whatever they want. Everybody, you do anything you want. No one can bring you under control. No, there's no restriction. Just flow anywhere. You see, so now you have become born again and you're having problems because you don't know that language of submission, that language of accountability, that language of respect and honor. You don't know it. It's foreign to your paradigm. It's foreign to your, to your constitution. It's for, foreign to your worldview. It's a very serious. So then, and that is that is scriptural. That is how discipleship, discipleship and fellowship, only exist can exist effectively or can can um, can function effectively within these parameters and remits. Within these parameters, it's very important. It's very. I'm talking about the true church culture. The true church culture, the actual Christian culture that has been given, was handed, they continued in the apostles' fellowship. It was handed down to us from generation. Somewhere along the line, it, it was brutalized. It was vandalized. It was mishandled. That's why in the dark ages, bishops were crooks. <laughs> Many bishops were crooks. Church leaders were crooks. Some of them, many of them were not even born again. They didn't actually know Jesus. They were not in the church. All right. But thank God for recovery. God has recovered his church. He's recovered his church. And so the church, how do we know what God expects of us? This is the only way. The only way. Anything that is not within scripture is not, is not uh, fundamentally Christian. If, it's, if it is not stipulated by scripture or if it's put particularly, if it is contrary to scripture, it is not Christian. Any ideology, any behavior, any uh, supposition, or any proposition, or any uh, idea, idea, or whatever, that is contrary to scripture, is not Christian, is not Christian, and guess what? Really, what do you know what it is? It's devilish. It's not Christian, and Satan is usually behind it, because Satan only acts against God's word. But he said, submit, let me read it again. Obey them that have rule the rule over you and submit yourselves for, watch this, this is a serious, for they watch over your soul. Are they angels? No. Human beings? Yes. What they do? The Bible? No, no. How can the Bible mean that? Yeah. Uh, that maybe it means something else, but it can mean some other human beings watch over your soul. They, oh, that means they oversee. They are watchmen. They watch over your soul. They oversee your well-being. He says, they, why? He says, submit yourself to them for they watch over your souls. Your souls. Take note of that. As, uh, as they that must give account. They are doing it knowing that God will judge. God will judge every pastor. When I say God will judge, every pastor will give an account to the way he did his work. The way he labored to take care of the flock, to oversee the flock. He says, God will judge every pastor. Every pa- the pastor's will give account for pastoral work. Please remember, as I said the other time, it's not everyone who is in church leadership who is a pastor. There are so many shades and various types of Christian leadership that if you are not careful, you will use what really doesn't look like what you know in Scripture or see in Scripture to now dismiss and dishonor all the, the entire office. Now, that is Satan's agenda because now that's uh, what the point here. Because 
Every man of God, every pastor, every Christian leader is required of Christians to give every Christian leader or esteem them highly. Give them honor. That's what it says. Let me finish. I'll go back to He says that, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourself, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they, they may do it with joy and not with grief. Don't let the pastor be doing it with grief. You give him so much problem in pastoring you. What happens? What's the impact of that? He says, For that's not profit. That, that is unprofitable for you. You, the one who is being pastored, pastored, if the pastor does it with grief, if you know you can't respect him, you can't respect the church, you can't submit in the church, find another church where you can submit and respect the leadership because it is not profitable for you. That, that's that the scripture is not profitable for you. If this is a pastor you can respect, you can honor, you can esteem. This is Christian leaders. You can you are in the church, but you don't respect the leaders. You don't respect the system. You don't respect anything they do. You can honor and you, you just you, you, please, please. It's not profitable for you. It's very important. Don't stay under a pastor you cannot receive the word of God from, under a pastor you cannot respect and honor, under a pastor you disrespect and you don't have value for. Don't stay there because it is detrimental to your spiritual well-being. It is not. (laughs) These are the things that a lot of people don't know. It's church culture. They don't know. No church, no church grows above the respect given to their leader. No church can flourish. When you look at the way the Pope is respected within the Catholic Catholic Federation or Catholic community, it's beautiful. That's why the office has stood, stood the test of time because it requires honor. Every spiritual office requires honor to flourish. That is why if Satan wants to attack a church or attack the body of Christ, he has to find some pseudo spiritual leaders who may say they are Christian leaders and and load them with bad behavior bad behavior despicable unscriptural behaviors and let them continue and then get them to uh, either be seen or highlight it and project it in public that office does well with honor. So once the office is discredited and dishonored, the word of God in the mouth of the man of God will not go anywhere because it will not be received as a word, the word of God. Paul said in, I think, um, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, for this cause also, thank we God, uh, for this cause also thank we God without season, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you heard the word of us, uh, which ye heard of us, ye received it, it's not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. It works only in those who believe and you receive it as the word of God. That's when it can effectually work in those who believe. But if you don't receive it as the word of God, it can effectually work in those who believe. But Satan doesn't want you to receive the word of God as the word of God. So he has to find a way to discredit the people who bring the word of God. That's what I'm saying. If you don't believe in this one, find someone you believe and you can respect and you can honor who brings the word of God and you know that this is the word of God and who is also, who has the, who also maintains the integrity of God's word and stays true to God's word and receive it. That is when you be, you begin to receive the benefit. Oh, but Pastor, I can read it myself and I can. The word of God, you, you ask a Christian, you're supposed to read it, but also it, it, it's supposed to be taught. When you study the scriptures very carefully, he said, they taught us, they taught them, they taught them. They, who is your teacher? 
A teacher you don't respect and honor won't be spiritually effective and a blessing to you. He might be ideologically a blessing, beneficial, not a blessing, beneficial to you, but he can be a blessing to you because blessings are spiritual. Blessings flow from the spirit and you can't extract, you can't tap into what a person carries in their spirits dishonorably or disdainfully. Back to my text. So, uh, verse, verse, verse 13. And esteem them very highly in love. Why? For their work's sake. Esteem them very highly. This is scripture. He said esteem them. The Greek word that was translated esteem, uh, so very highly, is um, perisos. Perisos, which means, in fact, in Mark chapter 6, verse 51, it was translated that they were shocked or astonished, amazed, beyond measure. So that word, that phrase beyond measure is perisos. That's what it says, that esteem there very highly, very highly. Another place is, peri, that is perisos. Another place is, uh, they use the word beyond measure. Another place in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Verse 20, you remember it says that um, um, and uh, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. So that phrase, exceedingly abundantly above, is perisos. And that's how he said, let's esteem, esteem church leaders, esteem exceedingly abundantly above. Give them such regard. That is why it is not healthy to go around listening to negative news and stories about church leaders. It will affect you invariably. Because the office functions in your interest in the, in, in the sphere of honor and respect. That's how it works. It works. Honor is a big thing in the sight of God. Honor. So he says that um, esteem, esteem them highly. Why? In love. How do you do it? In love. Esteem the man of God. Esteem your pastors in love. Esteem your pastors in love. Esteem your pastors in love. For their work's sake, esteem them highly in love. Highly. My celebrities, when it comes to celebrities, they are my pastors. The pastors that feed me the word of God, they are the celebrities in my life. Oh, but they are human beings. Are ah, the other celebrities not human beings as well? Oh, but they, yeah, but no one is saying they are perfect. But you, you, you think, but no one says that a pastor, in fact, God who chose a pastor knows that a pastor, a man, knows that that man is not perfect. God, God knows he's not perfect, but he's decided I will anoint you and use you. He, he uses mortal men, mere men, natural human beings. God uses human beings to reach out to human beings. So the problem is if you are not careful, you get distracted by his humanity and miss the divine authenticity or the divine endorsement on his life. You you will get, his humanity can distract you so much so that you miss the divine endorsement. In the same way, Jesus went to the temple. Bible said he taught powerfully. Sorry, in the synagogue, in Luke chapter four, uh, chapter four, when he, he, after he went and fasted and he came, uh, verse 16 said, uh, on the Sabbath day, he went to Nazareth and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as his custom was. And then he stood up to read. He took the scrolls from uh, um, Isaiah and he opened to Isaiah and read. He said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he anointed me to uh, to preach the uh, gospel to the poor, to heal the broken hearted. And then when his Bible says when he finished, he closed the book and gave it to the attendant and went and sat down. And Bible says that all eyes were fixed on him. What? He, this is something is, that gets read every Sabbath. 
Okay. In Acts chapter something verse 20, 13, 27 or something like that. He said, you, which, you don't know the voice of the prophets which you read every Sabbath. Okay. So they read it. Every Sabbath they read it. And they re- Jesus read it like others have read it. But they couldn't take their eyes off him. Why? Because this guy has gone to spend so much time with heaven that when he came and opened the Bible and read, something heavenly was happening to the people. Hallelujah. Oh God, that you will help us to seek you more. That we will be very anointed and not just speakers, not public speakers. That we will be anointed preachers of your word. That you anoint us, help us to seek you more, sacrifice anything it takes to be anointed teachers and preachers of your word, spokespersons for you. Oh God, Jesus came with an anointing. He didn't just come and read the Bible and read the text, the scripture. He read with an anointing. Man of God, my brother, you want to be a pastor? Pray, believe God, pursue the anointing. It takes an anointing to be a pastor. So, and Bible says when he finished, all eyes were on him. He went and sat down, and they all bore witness. The Bible says that they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth, and and they they, they marveled it. You see, they, I think. Oh boy, allow me to read it. So Bible says that, and verse twenty. Um, verse, verse, verse 20, it says that, and he closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down and, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were, were fastened upon him. And he began to say unto them, this day the scriptures fulfill." verse 22, and all bore witness with him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They bore witness. They knew that, no, this is something. There is an unusual grace upon this man. And the Bible says that they all, they marveled at the grace, the words of grace were oozing out of his mouth, words of grace. They knew deep in within them there's something. But guess what? They had a problem. And they said, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? They switched into the natural. They knew him in the natural too much for them to accept the anointing, the grace that was reaching out to them through him. No, this person can't carry that grace. I know him. I'm too familiar with his humanity. That's what I'm trying to say. If you are not careful, you become so familiar with the humanity of the servant God is sending to be a blessing to you that so much that you miss out on the blessings. It's when we get to heaven and that's when we will see how much blessings we forfeited because we didn't receive these vessels, the vessels God was using to bring us the the blessings always we disdained the vessels. So um, it says that esteem them highly. Let me read from that um, uh, amplified. Now, now also we beseech you, brethren, get to know those who labor among you, recognize them for what they are, acknowledge and appreciate and respect them all. Your leaders who are over you in the Lord. And those who warn and kind and, and kindly reprove and exhort you, verse thirteen, and hold them in very high and most affectionate esteem, in intelligent and sympathetic appreciation of their work. Hold them in a very high. Worldly people will have a problem with that. Okay, remember that I said this. Worldly people will have a problem with that, but we are not of the world. We are not of the world. We are people of the word, not of the world. We are the people of the word, 
not of the world. For the whole world lies under the sway, under the influence of the evil one, the devil. And First John chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. The whole world lies under the sway, under the influence, under the drive. Satan is the one who drives. He's called the God of this world. He drives. So the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, of the evil one. So we are not of the world. We are of the word. And so we have to live our lives based on the word. That's why it's always important to hear the word and have the word to have preeminence amongst us. So he says that let's do this to the leaders. Uh, then after saying that, esteem them for their for their work's sake. All right. Verse 14 says that, no, and I said, and let there be peace amongst you. This is so important. The more we esteem our leaders, the more we can enjoy the peace of God within our fellowship. Now, watch this. I'm talking in the context of church life. Okay, I'm not talking about community life. Please, let's don't get it wrong. I'm not talking about community life. I'm talking about church life. I'm not talking about general community life. I'm talking about the church community life, the church. And everybody is supposed to be part of a church. We live in a generation, as I said the other time, where it's increasingly becoming popular or easy to create your own private world. Private world of, and it's becoming incessant, constant, is becoming uh, accessible. I mean, what am I talking about? To have an as, as easily accessible private virtual or virtual private world of indulgence, uh, self-indulgence and temptations without limits. It's so private. And many people want their privacy. So it has created this culture of um, consumeristic being uh, 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 people have become consumeristic narcissistic individualistic have become isolated self-indulgent it's all about what I feel how I want it this is how I want and that kind of mindset or approach to life is very detrimental to true fellowship True Christian fellowship can never exist within that kind of framework or uh, uh, mental, mental framework. So it's very important to understand that to have an effective Christian fellowship, then we have an effective Christian, we have to watch out against some of these modern norms that are very antithetical to Christian fellowship. I am not saying social media is no good. It is. It is to a large extent depending on what you are feeding from it and how it's being used. But the enemy can also, it's like money. Or money is neither good or bad. It depends on who, who, whose hands it is in. Okay, so if a good person has money, it's use it for, he will use it for good causes. If a bad person has the money, he will use it for uh, evil causes or bad causes. So it depends on who has the money. In the same way, social media, uh, wonderful. But I want to suggest that real Christian fellowship cannot just be restricted and reduced to just social media activities or 
virtual activities, online activities. So that's why we are believing God. As soon as lockdowns are over, everybody must rush to your churches. Rush back into church. Rush rush back into real fellowship where we can serve and be served, where we can be accountable and also hold others accountable, where we can be annoying and still be accommodated and also accommodate other annoying ones and where we can all grow together, grow together physically we see each other we know each other we relate with each other we love each other we serve each other we hug and kiss each other we protect each other we defend each other we encourage each other necessary some of it can be done virtually but virtual christianity virtual fellowship is not fellowship Virtual fellowship is not real fellowship. We can go on with that as long as we don't get the chance to do the real one. So you are in China. Your 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 mother f- traveled and she is in um, in India or she is in Russia or she's in Germany. The only way you can have community is so good. Technology has helped so much so we can stay in touch easily. Sometimes you see them and talk to them right on your phone. And I mean, it's, it's amazing. But there is a down, there can be a downside to that, which if we are not careful, Satan can use it and uh, uh, cash in on it heavily to affect and destroy the church. We are becoming totally dependent on technology for socializing. That's what is happening now. We are becoming totally dependent on technology for socializing, which in itself is not true fellowship. Cannot be true fellowship. True fellowship cannot be totally dependent on technology for socializing. And what is happening is that because of virtual opportunities and technology, the church, uh, the congregation is becoming dehumanized constantly, aggressively, or subtly, subtly, particularly, subtly dehumanized. So you are having fellowship with people who you are not seeing them. What you are seeing is their images, but it's not their real images, but not real relationship, not real communication, because you can actually switch it off anytime you want. (laughs) That reminds me of Zoom meetings where people blanket, they just put black or picture, they are not interested, they leave it, and then they go and just be doing their own thing, and you actually don't know what they are doing, you know, but that's not fellowship that's not fellowship when a husband and wife are sitting down in conversation or communication and the wife is sometimes the wife will say you are not listening to me say I'm listening no you are not listening you see when you are with a person sometimes you can tell if the person is engaging physically it's very important so I'm not against what we do social media let's use it very mightily as much as we can for the purposes of um, the gospel and for the purposes of making life better, okay? But we have to be mindful that it cannot, what I'm trying to say is social media cannot replace actual real, real life fellowship. Virtual relationships cannot replace, are nowhere near true relationships. That's very important. And so let's watch that. Now, then it goes on to talk about Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them. He said, warn them, warn them, warn, warn who? Them. Warn them. They are, this is talking to the church. Look at verse 27. Just jump ahead to verse 27. I charge you before the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. So this was written to the brethren, not to community. This is written, written to the church for the purposes of church culture, how we ought to conduct ourselves in the church of the living God. He said, if I tarry, that you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the church of the living God. 
which is the pillar and the ground is in first Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 verse 15 says that but if I tarry that thou mayest know how to how thou ought to behave yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God there's a way to behave your church yourself in church there is a way to behave your church. When you say church, it's not just church meeting, but being part of the church. There is, there, 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 there's a culture, church culture. And we, we have to be taught. We don't know it automatically because it transcends just human traditions. So maybe my background and your background, there's, we do something in my background which is acceptable, but not acceptable in your background. On the flip side, maybe you do something in your background or in your actual culture, let's say you have a different culture, which is different, it's not acceptable in my culture. And so when we come to church, then what is the church culture? Because the fact that it's acceptable in culture A doesn't mean it's acceptable with culture C. But church, we come together as one body. So there's a culture that is only defined by the dictates and the demands and the directions and the didactics of scripture. That is why this kind of teaching is important. And then he says that now I exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. There are, there are people who come and you said the, the elders are to rule. Okay, the leaders are to rule. There are people who are unruly. You, they, are, they are not rulable. <laughs> you, you can't lead. You can't govern. They are very independent and they will always rebel and come against whatever we are all doing as a team. They will always do contrary. Some translations use disorderly. They are disorderly. One translation says they are loafers. Lo, you know a loafer? Look at, look, Google it or get the dictionary. Look for loafer. Very interesting way. Loafers. Now, this is what it says. I want to read from the Amplified. It says that, And we earnestly beseech you, brethren, admonish, which means warn and seriously advise. Warn and, it's not saying pastors should do that. The leaders, the apostle is telling congregation members, is telling the people that warn, we admonish you that, because if it wasn't a congregation, you wouldn't have been telling them, this is how you should treat your leaders. Okay? Verse verse, verse 12 says that, now we beseech you, brethren, the brethren is talking about the congregation, okay? To know those who labor, that know your leaders. So then it continues, and we earnestly beseech you, brethren, is there, brethren, so you congregation members must start warning people and strongly advising certain people. Who are you supposed? <laughs> this is interesting, isn't it? Who are you supposed to strongly advise? Strongly advise. Um, said strongly. Uh, uh, sorry, seriously advise those who are out of line. They are out of. We are all doing this. That's what the church does. That's, they are out of line. The way you you keep maltreating your wife, you are out of line. The way you keep behaving at work, you are you are you are church and you're into fraud 419, you are out of line. You are out, you can't be in church, or you can't be part of the church and and say it doesn't matter what how I behave, it doesn't matter what if I even do fraud, that's how I live. It doesn't no, it matters. You are part of a church, you, you are part of a people, and not even just our behavior outside, but our behavior inside. You can't say I'm in church, but I don't like this person, I don't talk to this person, I will never talk to this person. This is not my type. This person, I, my class, they are not my class, they are not in my race, and I look down on them. I'm better. Ah, excuse me. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. Even if you are raised like that, when you come to church, you have to be washed, sanctified with God's word to think right. To think right. You can't be racist in church. 
You can't be a segregationist in church. You can't be a sexist in church. It can't be. It can't be. You can't be a bully. So we may all have residue of human residues of such behaviors. We may, but it is, we can't say it doesn't matter. It does. So we need to go to the text and see the culture that we are enjoying to live. And he says that warn those who are out of line, warn them strongly or seriously advise them. Those who are out of line, the lawless, the disorderly, the the unruly, you see that the same disorderly, unruly. When somebody is a loafer, it means it's a couch potato, dead beat, do nothing, drone, drone. Google the word drone, D R O N E, drone. Very interesting. Drone, it's a drone. There are people who are dr- who can behave like drones in the church. Drone, idlers, lay about, lazy bones. These are all. <laughs> you can be a Christian in a church. Being a church, you see, the fact that you are in a church doesn't mean it's, that, that's, that's the be all. You are in a church, but you have to let the church also be in you. You are in a church. Is the church in you? Is the church, you see, this kind of message I'm preaching, it will not be popular at all. A lot of people, I just have to, but Paul said, we did not shun to, to tell you the whole counsel of God. I will tell you the whole, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, 26. So we did not shun to tell you the whole counsel of God. I'm not a marketing officer. I'm a preacher of God's word, a proclaimer of God's word. So if, if there's a problem, if the word doesn't say it, but if that what I'm saying is true to the word, then I think every Christian must listen to what God has got to say. Watch this. It says that, warn them, they are loafers. They are drones. They are disorderly or really warn them. Okay. And then so one, six things quickly that church, the congregation, the brethren must do. Three, directly to the, um, three are only to the congregants, fellow congregants. The, the other three are to the congregants and to general humanity. So the first three is just to congregants. Doesn't they go around in town trying to be warning people? No. Said so once we are part of the church, we have to warn them. So what are the things that are expected of church folks within the church context? Number one, warn others. So you we have to. Or let me use the word to sound a bit like. Uh, let me see how the. Let me use the King James word. Um, we exhort you, brethren, that you won't. James uses one, so let's stay with the one then. Admonish, but warn. So warn, warn somebody, advise somebody, warn them. So number one is warn them. Number two is 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 um uh, encourage the timid and faint-hearted. So number one is warn. Number two, encourage somebody. Sometimes the timid and faint-hearted here is someone who is not quite strong in faith. And, you know, it's like, it's afraid. Uh, encourage them. Somebody says, I've lost my job and that's the end of my life. No, 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 it's not the end of your life. Sister, I know that the marriage didn't come on, but it's not the end of your life. God will have something better in stock for you. Okay, so let's encourage one another. Let's encourage one another. Sometimes life can be so stressful. Life can be so demanding. Life can be so discouraging. Yes, life can be so discouraging. All kinds of things happen in life. Life can be so discouraging that one person, somebody can easily be despondent in life and feel like nothing is working. Hey, 
You say nothing is working. Listen, I have good news for you. Once you are part of the brethren, something is actually working behind the scenes for you. In Jesus' name, I prophesy to you that whatever God is working behind the scenes for you, very soon it will manifest and you shall be rejoicing. You shall have a testimony. You shall testify. You shall testify. You shall testify. Hallelujah! This is getting me excited because somebody, there's something good cooking for you. God is preparing something. before. I mean, before the end of this year. Yes, yes. Before the end of... Don't be afraid. Just trust God. So he says that st- encourage the timid or disheartened. The one who is uh, who, who has been uh, disheartened or lighthearted. Let me read it again. It says that um, encourage the timid or the faint-hearted. So number one, warn. Number two, encourage. Number three, let me read from the King James. Number three, it says that um, comfort the feeble-minded. That's um, number two. So I prefer to use the word comfort. So let's stay with it. Comfort the feeble-minded. Okay. The uh, faint-hearted. Comfort them. You remember last in our last teaching, I was teaching you the the real meaning of comfort is to to, to edge somebody on, get somebody to get back in. Somebody says, I don't think I want to go to church again. Hey, comfort the person. Comfort the person. Because they are discouraged. You know, sometimes you, if you are not careful, you will use your state to solicit undue sympathy and begin to um, victimize others who don't or succumb to your emotional demands. So sometimes, believers, yes, the way you are feeling is, is understandable. That is why you need another believer to encourage you or to comfort you. To comfort you so you don't stray off because of what you are going through. You can easily stray. We all can stray off. We all can be derailed. Because of things that we are going through. That's when we're that's when that's why we always need one another. Brothers and sisters, I need you. You need me. I need him. He needs me. I need her. She needs him. He needs her. She needs him. We need each other. One it's a one another one another life. You can't have a Christian fellowship, Christian life without others. It is needed. Everybody is necessary. And we need one another. We need one. So don't be offended in one another. Don't be offended that in one offense will come it's like family life you know we can get on each other's toe the closer we come together the more like the more the likelihood of stepping on somebody's toe because we are so close yeah that is life i'm not saying that it's okay to offend people please that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that it's better to to mature spiritually so that offense doesn't doesn't get you out of track or derail you that's what i'm trying to say you it's it's easy to be offended when you have relationship with people. But doesn't mean you should break the relationship, especially if the relationship is a good one for a good cause. Hallelujah. So let's comfort. So warn one another. Uh, warn people. Comfort people. All right. Comfort those who are faint-hearted. And then the, the third point is support the weak. Support the weak. So support. Support the weak. How do what do we what do we what does the Bible mean by the weak? Someone who is struggling with maybe a behavior or sin or something. Don't let us give up on our own. It's not, this is the church. Don't let us don't go telling unbelievers about this problem this Christian brother is having in this in their family. No. 
Yeah, don't let us give up on them. So because you have done this, we don't want to have any relation. No, 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 no. Don't let us give up on them except those who are unruly. Let me show you. So when people are unruly and disorderly, I am Second Timothy, Second Thessalonians chapter three. I read it the other time. Verse six says, "Now, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourself from every brethren that walks disorderly. See that word disorderly." The unruly type of people. Withdraw yourself from every brother that works disorderly. They are not in line. They are not interested in serving. Now, that word disorderly and the unruly means that they are not interested in serving. They don't do anything and they don't want to do anything for God's work and for God's people. That's idle. That's why I use the word loafer. The Bible uses loafer, an idler, a couch potato, um, a, a, a drone, just there, just trying to use people and they don't really want to get. They are not interested in doing what will also help to build the work of God. Those are idlers and disorderly. It says that, and sometimes they even now work against what God is trying to build among the congregation. It says, now we command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw yourself from every brother that works disorderly and not after the tradition uh, ye have received of us. For ye yourself know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly amongst you. Follow our example. Look at the verse 14. It says that, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that they may be ashamed. Yet, yet, verse 15, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. See, this is what he did. But he said, note the person, note the person and have no company with him. So when you're a Christian, if you want to be a strong Christian and do well, there are some people in church that you may not have to have company with, yet you admonish and you have a relationship, but not company. It's very important. Here, he says that, so number one, uh, what are we supposed to do in the church amongst ourselves? Number one, he says that one, the unruly. Number two, comfort. Number two, comfort the feeble-minded. Number three, support the weak. They are struggling, they are weak, they are in their behavior and something. Let's support them. Let's be the support system around them. Let's build one another in love. Bible says that love builds up. Let's build one another in love. Let's stand with one another. Let's support one another. And then quickly, um, so so first three ways are one, comfort and support. Now, now the next three is for the church and for outsiders as well. What are the next three? Be patient towards all men. Did you see that? Patient towards all men. So the next point, next word is patient. Show patience. When you are dealing with people, be patient. Give them time. Give them time. Okay? Give people time. That's an expression of mercy. Be patient. So Patient towards all men. Number verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil unto any man, whether church or out. Don't so it's, in other words, forgive. So patience, forgiveness. Forgive people. For don't render it. Is, what, is this what you've done to me? I will do, I will do back. I, I will hit you back. I will hit, I will never forget you. I will hit you. He says that don't do that. Don't do that. It is not a church. Good, true church culture and church tradition. Christianity 101, forgive people. Forgive people, those in the church, those in leadership, those outside of church, those who are not in leadership. Forgive them. Forgive your mother. Forgive your father. Guess what? Forgive your ex. Yes, forgive your ex. I mean, can I say that again? I'm talking to you. Forgive your ex. Forgive your ex and move on. Forgive your ex. God will help you. Forgive your ex. God will help you. Forgive your ex. God will help you. At least learn from what they did to you. So it doesn't repeat again. But for, it doesn't repeat itself. 
but forgive. So forgive all men. All men means you're including your ex and your former husband, your former wife. <laughs> For, forgive all men. And finally, it says that forgive all, um, don't um, render evil unto evil to any man, but ever follow that which is good both amongst yourselves and to all men. You see the all men. So practice practice goodness. Follow that which is good. Let people know that's why you're a good person. Let people know you as a good person in the church and outside of. Your neighbors must know you're a good person. They must know you're a good person. Your family members, even though they, are, they always castigate and say negative things about you and church, they know you're a good person. They must know. You must be, don't say, as for me, like you live in a house, you live with others or other tenants or and people know as for you, no one crosses you. If anyone crosses you, you, you crush them. No, it's a bad reputation for a Christian. That as for you, you will never forgive. You don't let anything go. You fight people and hurt them back. No, it is not a good reputation for a Christian. Let them if your ex years that you are born again, the one thing they must know is oh, then he will forgive me. Then she has forgiven me. Yeah. Forgive your dad. He wasn't there for you, but forgive him. Forgive your mom. She wasn't nice to you. Forgive him. Forgive your sister, what they did to you, how they rejected you. Forgive them. Forgive those who are racist against you. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. Forgive them. May God help us all to walk in forgiveness and be saturated and be characterized with good acts of good goodness. Acts of goodness. So the six things that church, uh, that God enjoins or encourages church people, church brethren, to do. Number one is warn the unruly. Number two, to uh, comfort the feeble-hearted. Number three is to um, support support the weak. Number four is be patient with all men. Number five, forgive all. Number six. Good works. Number six, exercise good works or acts with kindness. So you're engaging acts of good works. Acts, goodness, 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 acts of goodness. I mean acts of goodness. You must be known for that if you are living the real church life. We might, we might not all be there at once, but let's all strive to live this true Christian culture. Christianity 101. We thank God for using his servant, Reverend Dr. David Entry, to share this awesome word. If this message has blessed you in any way, please spread the word by sharing it and send us an email to amen at caris.org. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter for regular updates on what God is doing here at Caris Ministries. Stay blessed.